Welcome to the LBCF podcast. Our vision is to learn to live and love like Jesus, where we live, work, and play. To find out more about our community, you can visit us at lbcf.org. We hope you are encouraged and challenged by this teaching from our community. I almost feel like I could sit before you right now and just say that, like, I ditto everything that Mary said this morning and be done. Because I feel like every morning, Mary brings it and she brings the love of God in such a way and communicates it in such a way that we are able to experience the fullness and the goodness of it. And man, oh man, it is really hard to come before you all today and and follow that up. So I'm gonna I'm gonna humbly do what I can and do my best to to bring the word um, to you this morning. Um, good morning, uh, LBCF. Uh, welcome. If you are new or visiting, welcome. Thank you for being here. Um, and we invite you to uh, connect with us through the connect card on our website. Um, or reach out to us through any of the, the the phone numbers or emails that are going to be communicated throughout this entire uh, gathering. I'm just so thankful that we're here together um, again. And I'm humbled. I'm honored. I I consider it a, a absolute privilege to be able to come before you today and just share from scripture and share from my heart. But I consider it an, an even greater honor to be able to do that um, as a member as and as one part of a teaching team um, with the you know, other members like Barb uh, Sanofsky, J.C. Anderson, Alvia Lee, uh, Steve Thomas, Matt Cullen, Ryan Longnecker, like these are all just powerhouse people and I feel uh, grateful. Um, and so this week I, I have the task, I have the honor really to be able to continue in the book of Timothy um, and continue on in the, the knowledge and the message that we were brought last week with Alvia, where he so eloquently talked to us and, and communicated the nature of the true gospel and the sufficiency for all people. And I loved the way that he framed it. I loved the way that he talked about, you know, and challenged us with this question of how deep, how wide, how high is the love of Christ? And that we, we were asked and invited into pondering that and the sufficiency of the gospel and whether or not it is sufficient to cover all. And this week, I just really wanted to focus in on the, the nature of what the gospel is <clears throat> and the nature of, of who God is. And so I found that Timothy was a really fascinating book because the entire book is bracketed by two ends, right? Book ends, where the whole front of the book talks about false gospel and false doctrine, and the whole back half of the book talks about false gospel and false doctrine, but everything in the middle is structured around organization. And if you know anything about scripture and the way that things are written, you understand that when things are repeated or when things are bracketed, it is essentially speaking to the most paramount or tantamount truth that the, the book or the scripture is trying to get to. And so I felt that it was necessary to come before you, and I really felt the Holy Spirit moving me in, leading you into this exploration or um, understanding of what the true gospel is. Last week, we, we established that it is sufficient. And this week, I really want to explore what is it. <clears throat> and so today, I really want to frame it around 
uh, a question that I, I want to pose to us as a church community and I want to pose to you as individuals. Um, and really the question is, is kind of a statement, but we can frame it in certain ways. And, and I will admit, I kind of just tweaked it a little bit after hearing Jason uh, leading us in worship this morning. And so the focus of today is what a church believes, or to put it in the words of Jason's song this morning that he led us in, what a church's heart adores will shape how it lives. And so what a person believes or what a person's heart adores will shape how they live. And so this is really, as we get into it, this is really just an exploration of what do we adore as a church? What do we adore as an individual? And so if you think about it, what our heart adores and what, what we believe to be true is essentially a conversation of discontentment versus contentment. Are we discontented or are we contented? And so I want to explore the specific chapter that we're going to be looking at today and sort of set the stage for today's message. I'm going to be reading from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 through 16. Um, and so forgive me, uh, it's going to, it's a little long, but if you just sort of buckle up, um, we're going to power through this because there's a lot of really good stuff in here. So starting with verse three, Paul's writing to Timothy to encourage him and to contrast the nature of what is happening in terms of false gospel in the church of Ephesus. And then he also goes to encourage him. So he starts with verse three. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels without words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and depra deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils, and it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Verse 11 goes on to say, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who is in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandments unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, 
the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him, this is getting me, Ah. to him be the honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Um, my friends, my family, um, this is at the core of what the gospel is. Paul, Paul's writing this in chapter six to Timothy, and he's, he's doing this as a, as a way or a means of encouraging Tim. As Mary talked about, Tim was really shy. Timothy, he was he was really uncertain about his ability to, to come before the church of Ephesus. And Paul was writing these words in direct encouragement to who Timothy was in his solid foundation in his faith in Jesus. And he's painting us a picture, right? He's painting Timothy a picture of a life that is discontented and separate from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he also provides a picture of a life that is contented and deeply rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what he's doing is he's painting a church and providing us a picture of a church at a crossroads where they have to make a decision, where they have to make a choice. And they have to choose a life and a a way of living of either contentment or discontentment. And so what I want to do today is I want to provide uh, and sort of expand upon this image a little bit more. I want to extrapolate or or explore these two opposites of um, a picture that that Paul is painting for us in the way that he describes the church, in the way that he describes Timothy. And ultimately, these two choices boil down to contentment and discontentment. So option one that I want to focus on, option one or choice number one, is is a life that is lived out of a false gospel. Because the the scripture is, is showing us the opposite or the contrast of a false gospel and a true gospel. And verses three through 10, I think, are very clear about the life that one lives when it is derived from the false gospel, right? He talks about being puffed up with conceit and and that you understand nothing. He talks about an unhealthy craving for controversy. And so as we were to explore these these passages and and these verses, I think that there are some fundamental characteristics that you can really get into as the the foundation of what a life of discontentment is. And that when we, believing in a false gospel, are driven into a life of discontentment that is essentially characterized by the following things, right? Conceit. That if we are in a life of, of, of a false gospel and a life of discontentment, it tends to be centered around me, right? What do I have, right? Conceit is, is typically born out of this desire to not display Christ, but to display oneself as the central character of a story, right? Another characteristic of a discontented life is typically at, at the center of this conceit, we're led into a life of argument that we're, we tend to, by putting ourselves in, in the central focus of our story, 
we tend to to drive into a life more concerned with argument and competition and winning than being concerned with the goodness of life. A third characteristic that I think that is is can be drawn from this is when we are living in a life of discontentment and when we have conceit and argument, we, we tend to live into a life where, we're, where we focus on the disruption of peace and that we don't live into peace and that to be a disturber of peace, we become suspicious of all who differ from what we believe. And that when argument is lost, the, the last characteristic, when argument is lost, insults take its place and a position of bitterness and love and division is cast within our life. And we're, we're seeing this play out in so many facets of our life today too. And, and I'm guilty of this too. Like I'm just, if I, if I could come from and put out, do a quick aside, like I give this message and I, and I'm speaking this today, considering myself guilty as the, as the biggest sinner in the room too. Like I'm guilty of this as well. And Yeah, I felt very convicted of it as well. And the a fourth and final characteristic that I think that Paul is getting into is greed. And the motive of our work and the motive of our labor must be centered on Christ's work rather than the commercialization of our faith or the propping of ourselves up, or the the putting ourselves at the forefront of of our own story. And so, I think these are often qualities and characteristics that stem out of this life of discontentment. And this discontentment is all deeply rooted and born out of a false gospel that teaches that Christ died to give us what we think we did we deserve, right? That Christ died to give us the things of, or the desires of our hearts and that Christ died to make us prosperous and Christ died to give us health and wealth and, and that this, this false gospel defined out of discontentment is really rooted in this notion that Christ died so that we could be happy or that we could uh, be free from pain or be free from suffering or be free from hurt or be free from oppression or be free from uh, poor, from being poor or discontented. And that all of these things, right, that he died to give us wealth and that he died to give us stuff so that life would no longer be full of hurt. This, this is the root of what the false gospel is, right? False gospels, there are all sorts of interpretations of a false gospel, but I think one of the overarching characteristics that define all these false gospels is in fact this, this sense of discontentedness that typically drives a narrative or a, a story forward that we are at the center of our own story and that we are the main character of our own story, and that God is the vending machine, the uh, gumball dispenser God that we so often associate him with.
And so that's, that's vision or picture number two. That's option number two, a life of discontentment rooted out of this false gospel. And that's that whole first half of what we read in chapter six. But the second half that Paul is writing directly to Timothy, he's describing a life that is lived out of a true gospel of Jesus Christ. And that this is a gospel where we live into the fullness of what the true gospel of Jesus Christ is. And I think that Alvia talked so well about this last week, that Christ's love and the sacrifice that he gave to us on the cross for our sins is sufficient for all and covers all sin. Because we've, we have all fallen short. And we know that to be true. And we know that we're broken. And we know that we're all sinners. And that God sent his son to die on the cross to save us from an eternity of sin and death, separated from him. And so we read in chapters 6, verses 6 through 8, <clears throat> where, where Paul is specifically stating and, and describing what contentment looks like in stark contrast to the narrative or the picture that he painted before. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content contentment. My wife, Sam, and I have a, have a posture or a saying around this, and she doesn't know that I'm saying this, but um, we call this the Lord's chips posture. Um, and if you know anything about us, you know that one of our favorite movies is uh, Nacho Libre. And there's a, there is, I'm, I'm, I realize that it's silly that I'm sharing this, but I feel like it is really relevant. Uh, in this movie, Nacho Libre, he's caring for orphans. He, there's a gentleman who works in an orphanage. Um, it's played by, uh, it doesn't matter. And he is communicating to, to these kids in, in his orphanage, uh, this idea of being contented and grat, and having an attitude of, well, it sounds cheesy, but attitude of gratitude for what we have. And he's giving them chips, right, as food. And he's saying, um, as he's giving them to, the, to, to these kids, he's saying, these are the Lord's chips, that it's not much. And it's a silly little thing, but it's not much, but the Lord has blessed us with it. And so the, my wife, we, we often refer um, to circumstances in our lives that seem out of our control, but yet we reflect on the goodness and, the, and the, the graciousness of God, and we often just will say to each other, these are the Lord's chips, and then we have a little chuckle. But I feel like it's relevant because in this time, in this verse, Paul is really speaking to this posture, right? In verse 11, Paul then immediately, through this posture, gives us these characteristics, again, of a life that is lived out of contentment and contentedness and this Lord's chips posture. Right. And he is he is saying this directly to Timothy as an encouragement to Timothy because Timothy was so shy and timid. And yet we can also glean from this the encouragement for ourselves and a way 
that we should live into the fullness of God's glory and the fullness of God's gospel and the true gospel message of Jesus Christ, right? So some of these characteristics that, that Paul defines, first one is righteousness, that we're called into righteousness, that this is the act of giving to God and men their due. One who does their duty to God and to their fellow man, that we are called to live a righteous life. A second characteristic that Paul defines is godliness. And this is the act. And I think that this is at the real core of what I'm trying to communicate today. That godliness is the reverence and awe. Ooh, I can't read this without getting emotional. Godliness is the reverence and awe of the one who never ceases to be aware that all life is lived in the presence of God. Hmm. All life is lived in the presence of God. A third characteristic that Paul talks about is faith. And this isn't just the faith that we're asked to like, oh, just have faith, step out on a ledge and trust that something will be there for you. No, this is a much deeper faith. That faith, and this sense of faith is a sense of loyalty and a fidelity and consistency in doing what one says they will do, that we are called to act a life of faith and live into a life of faith in which we are consistent with what our word is. The fourth characteristic that I think Paul describes is love. And this is that agape love that, that Alvia talked about last week. And this is, this is the type of love that is contingent upon nothing. And that it is freely given and is a characteristic, I think, that most clearly defines the character of God. The fifth characteristic that Paul is painting and and describing for us in opposition to the characteristics of discontentment is patience. This is an adherence to God's timing rather than our own. It It is a victorious endurance that demonstrates unwavering constancy to faith, that previous characteristic, in spite of adversity and suffering, that we're called to be patient. And then the last characteristic that I think Paul is describing is gentleness. And this is one of the only qualities throughout scripture that Christ attributes to himself, which I think is really important. He does it in Matthew eleven twenty nine, and Christ is attributing this, this quality to himself because in gentleness, right, we are allowed to rest in him and encourage and strengthen others. And so if you read and look through these characteristics, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness, they sound familiar. They are the fruits of the Spirit. But these fruits of the Spirit are born out of a life lived in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you know anything about fruit, right? Fruit, we can only receive the fruit from the tree, right? The tree, the tree grows it and we receive the fruit, that it is given to us freely. And that these characteristics These words written by Paul as a direct encouragement to who Timothy was and what Timothy was doing in standing in direct contrast to the false gospel 
that we are receiving the fruits of the Spirit, that these characteristics are things given to us when we allow ourselves to live into the fullness of the, of the gospel message that is Jesus Christ. And that we can't achieve these by ourselves, and we can only embody these attributes when we simply dwell in the fullness and mystery that is God through an intimate relationship with Christ Jesus. Sky Jathani, the author, he's an author and uh, a biblical scholar, and he wrote a book uh, simply and aptly called With. And he describes this notion and this, this belief as a life with God posture. It's another way of saying these are the Lord's chips, right? That life with God. The life with God posture is predicated on the view that relationship is at the core of the cosmos. God the Father with the Son, with God the Son, with God, the Holy Spirit. And so we should not be surprised to discover that when God desired to restore his broken relationship with people, he sent his son to dwell with us. His plan to restore his creation was not to send a list of rules and rituals to follow, nor was it the implementation of useful principles. That this is a life of a with. God posture, that we are called into a life of the true gospel that bears contentment and the fruits of the spirit that are righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. And so the question we really come down to is how do we do this? How do we live in this? How do we dwell with God? How do we move from a life of discontentment into a life of contentment? How do we choose between these two and move from one to the other? And how do we make it happen? And the answer is nothing. We don't have to do anything. That the work and the gift has already been given, that we do nothing to earn the gift that is the true gospel of Jesus Christ, and that we receive everything by being in relationship with the God of all creation, with Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit. And that is the utter beauty and the joyful news of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. We don't live the gospel. We don't do the gospel. We receive the gospel. And so in talking with this, Barb challenged me. She said, she challenged me with this, this question of how do we receive something? And this notion that we can't receive something unless we're willing and open to receiving it. And so, again, I bring it back to these are the Lord's chips. We have to be open. We have to have a mind and a heart posture of openness. And so often, too, like I find myself torn. I find myself torn between these two options that 
that Paul paints a picture of where I have lived into a life of discontentedness where I so desperately believe and adhere to this notion that I deserve what is good and I deserve what is mine, but yet I haven't lived into the goodness of all that I have and all that I've received is good because Lord is sufficient and the gospel is sufficient. One example real quick, I can tell you this week, and of course of all weeks that happened this week, I had a job interview. I interviewed for an assistant principal position. For those of you who don't know, I'm a teacher and I'm trying to become an admin at a school. And I, I interviewed for an assistant principal position. And I didn't get it. And I, at the core, like deep within me, I was so broken and so upset and so discontented. And I needed, I had a moment where my, my mind reframed it and I just was like, but God, you are so good. And I veer into that life of discontentment. And yet the thing that pulls me out of that is dwelling in the goodness of God and receiving the gospel message that is Jesus Christ. And that this is not something that we do and we are not asked by God to bring something to him in return for the rece receiving of these things. But yet we only are asked. There's no action that we have to do to receive it. The only action that we do is to bring ourselves to God. I love, I love the words that William Barclay spoke and, and wrote to describe this. And he says, two things alone man can take to God. He can and must take himself. He can and must take that relationship with God into which he has entered in the days of his life. We have seen that the secret of happiness lies in personal relationships. And the greatest of all personal relationships is the relationship to God. And the supreme thing that a man can take with him is the utter conviction that he goes to the one who is the friend and the lover of his soul. Contentment comes when we escape the servitude to things, when we find our wealth in the love and the fellowship of man, and when we realize that our most precious possession is our friendship or relationship with God made possible through Jesus Christ. Poof, that racks me every time. The utter conviction that we go to the one who is the friend and love of our soul. So my friends, LBCF, I leave you today with the same statement that we started with, but I'm going to take it one step further. And I'm going to leave you with these statements. What a church believes and loves most shapes the way that it lives. And what a person believes and loves 
most shapes the way that they live. And so what do we believe and what do we love? Do we love a false gospel in which we love ourselves and believe that Christ died on the cross so we could be free from pain, suffering, and have a happy life full of nice things and ultimately leading to a life of discontentment full of conceit, argument, disruption, and greed? Or... Do we believe in the true gospel? Do we love the true gospel? And do we love that the God of all creation and believe that in his righteous sovereignty, he freely gave of himself and sent his son who was fully God and fully man to dwell among us and to die on the cross for us, to set us free from an eternity of sin and death. And that this sacrifice, this Gospel news is true and sufficient for all to come to the table and be contented in the goodness of the Lord of Lords. So to each and every one of you, I end with this. What do you believe and love? What does your heart adore? Let's pray. Father, you are good. Father, we come before you humbled and grateful that we can freely receive the fruits of the Spirit and that you have given to us the greatest gift of love that we could ever know. And so, Father, we just proclaim our adoration for you. And that in that, and in, our, in the mystery and the goodness and the fullness of who you are, we are called into a life worthy of who you are. So, Father, I pray that we as a church and we as individuals and the body of believers will will choose to step into a life of the true gospel of contentment where we can bear the fruit of righteousness, gentleness, love, patience, godliness, and faith. And so, Father, we honor you and we thank you for all things. We thank you for your great love. And we proclaim, how can you be so good? We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and a life with God. Amen.